Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm the student minister, and I just want to say welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, uh, for, for being here in worship with us today. Uh, today, I have the awesome honor of introducing our guest speaker today. Uh, he is, um, his name is Pastor John Cook from Mount Ararat, and he is the pastor of pastoral care. Uh, and so would you um, help me welcome him up to the stage? Yeah, and uh, I just want to just say a quick little prayer over him, so join me in prayer. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for who you are. Uh, we thank you for what you're doing uh, in, in this place and in this church. Uh, God, right now, I pray for uh, Pastor John. I pray that you would speak through him, that the words that come out of his mouth would be yours, that they would penetrate our hearts, and that they would do something deep within us, God. Uh, we just love you so much, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks. Folks, good morning to you. It is a joy to be here with you. And uh, it was funny this morning when Ryan said, what is your official title? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And so we came up with a pastor over pastoral care. Way too redundant. I'll work on it, okay? Uh, and also, apparently, when Zach called me, uh, the first thing he asked, or first thing he said, listen, the minimum height requirement to preach at this church is 6'4", and I said, I'm right there. I'm right there, so we're good to go. Hey, it is a joy to be here with you all this morning. Thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be here with you. I am so excited that I, I kind of get to close out this series that you all have been in, in regards to Wisdom Works, and I've had the pleasure to go back and see uh, Pastor Zach's lessons that he's been giving. Gang, I'm not just saying this because Zach hired me when, uh, at, from Mount, Mount Ararat or when I was at, uh, he hired me to Mount Ararat. There we go. But I'm telling you, you all are richly blessed to have a pastor such as Zach. Okay? Yeah. We're going to continue our series in this uh, and kind of finish it out, Wisdom Works, and it's really out of Proverbs, and Zach has done a great job of asking and answering the question, is God's wisdom, is it still, does it still work today? Is it still applicable today? And with a resounding yes, uh, it is. And I hope that you all have seen that over the last five weeks and even today. And we're going to look at this idea of our emotions versus wisdom and how that applies. But before, but before we get into that, I just want to do a little background for anybody that this may be your first time at River Club or maybe it's your first time being here at church or maybe you're just coming back uh, after a long time absence. I want to give you just a little bit of a synopsis of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is one of those things. It's, they're, they're short, pithy little statements. They're little nuggets of wisdom. But it's kind of like a punchline also of a joke. You either get it or you don't. There's some in there that you'll come across and you'll be like, nope, don't, didn't get it. Keep reading. Keep reading. Because I guarantee you, Whatever it is in life that you're looking for, Solomon in his wisdom has covered it within this. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am not the sharpest tack in the box or as somebody has told me, son, you're as, sharp, you're as sharp as a bowling ball. When I first came to faith, um, 
I was sitting with my pastor who became just a great mentor of mine. And I talked to him about how I, Bob, I just, I just feel so inadequate. I, I, I didn't know scripture. I didn't know where to find anything. You would tell me what book of the Bible you were preaching from. And I was, had to go to the table of contents. And I didn't know the difference between the New and the Old Testament and all of that. And so if you're there today, I totally understand where you are, okay? And so we'll help you because we'll have a bunch of this stuff on the screen. But when I was meeting with Bob, he started talking to me. He goes, John, I tell you what, I want you to read the book of Proverbs. And so he helped me find it. And then he, you know, he was really smart. He goes, you know, John, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. If you read one chapter a day, you can read through the whole book in a month. I was like, oh, wow, that's great. So if you didn't realize you can do that, maybe it's just me, but uh, read a uh, read a chapter of Proverbs every day, and in the course of 31 days, you will have gone through the book of Proverbs. It is one of those books that I strongly recommend that it be kind of on your regular reading list, okay? What I normally do is I will, about three times a year, I read through the book of Proverbs. I'll take a month, so about once a quarter or so, I will take a month and read through the book of Proverbs. When I do that, I also read through the book of Psalms. Five Psalms in a day, in the course of 30 days, you will get through all 150 Psalms. So just a little, maybe a reading plan if you don't have one, if you don't have one. Anyways, the book of Proverbs. Let's go and look at this. Chapter 1. Verses 1 through 7, it gives a great synopsis of the whole book. It starts right off. The book of Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction. For understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, for sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon, of course, is the writer of this. Solomon, the son of David, arguably the best king, the greatest king of Israel, Many of you understand David is the man after God's own heart. Solomon was his son, and he has now come to uh, power. He is now the king of Israel. And at the beginning stages of his reign as king of Israel, God comes to Solomon in a dream. And he asks Solomon, ask whatever you want, Solomon, whatever you want, and it is yours. Solomon, being a young man, being a young king, realizing the depth of what he is being called to, asks God for this one thing. He says, God, I need wisdom to lead these people. God was very pleased with him. And he tells Solomon, God tells Solomon, that because you didn't ask for wealth and riches and fame and power. 
not only will I grant you wisdom, but I will give you all those other things. And so scripture tells us that there has been no one like uh, Solomon since then. No one is wise. No one is intelligent. No one is noteworthy and no one as wealthy as Solomon was. And so for Solomon, the question, does wisdom work? Absolutely it does. I would encourage you, if you haven't read the story of Solomon and this account, this historical account between he and God, to go back and read 1 Kings chapter 3 and chapters, uh, chapter 3 and 4. But these proverbs that he has given us, they are written to the simple. They are written to the young. They are written to the old. They are written to the wise. They are written to the discerning. They are written to us. Any of us that are seeking wisdom, you'll find it here. You'll find it here. It's written written for instruction and understanding. It's written so that we may live a prudent life. It is written so that our relationships will be stronger. Our relationship with one another, our relationship with ourselves even, and most of all, our relationship with God. And if you get anything, anything out of reading the book of Proverbs, verse 7 of chapter 1 is the punchline, the totality of what this is about. When Solomon writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge, wisdom, is practical application. It is knowing something here, but also living it out in our life. So in other words, I know and therefore I do. Does that make sense? I think Zach called it, practical wisdom. And there's a lot of people that we know that have incredible amounts of brain power, but walking across the street may be difficult for them. Practical application is taking what we know and implementing it and living it out. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to be able to do that. Now, one of the things that comes in the way of taking that wisdom And applying it is the very things that we are made with, and that's emotions. God has wired us, pre-wired us with emotions. It's part of who he is, and because we are image bearers of God, we are made in the image, we have characteristics of God within us, part of that is emotions, and we have them. And emotions are neither good nor bad. They're actually kind of amoral. It's how we deal with them and how we manage them that makes them good or bad. In the late 20th century, there was a psychiatrist by the name of Paul Ekman. And he is a pioneering psychologist. And he came up with, after studying people's facial features for years and years and years, he comes up and he defines that there are six primary emotions that universally people have. Those primary emotions are fear, anger, joy, disgust, surprise, and sadness. If you're taking notes, I'll give them to you again. They are fear, anger, joy, disgust, surprise, and sadness. 
we have both positive and negative emotions. And depending on who you read, some of them pair them up and they do polar opposites. For example, joy versus sadness, excitement versus disappointment, peace versus anger, confidence, not arrogance, confidence versus fear. All the other emotions and complexities of emotions spur off of these six main emotional characteristics. In Scripture, it is racked with stories. I need to quit calling them stories because these are historical accounts. A story says once upon a time. A historical account means that this really happened. And these really did happen. But in here, the historical accounts are racked with people who are applying wisdom, who are dealing with emotions. And sometimes it's people that are dealing with emotions and living by their emotions instead of living by the wisdom of God. Now, I will tell you, I am an emotional guy. There's part of me right now that my stomach, I am still a little butterflies. I don't know hardly any of you here. And I'm standing in front of a crowd of folks that I don't know. And so it is a little bit nerve-wracking for me. Thank you. <laughs> and I love being here. But if you've ever done this before, you know that the emotions can happen. And so what we do, I know in my brain, okay, and I know in my heart that God is here. And as long as I stay out of the way, God's going to do some incredible things. He's going to open up your ears and open up your hearts so that you not only hear, but then you'll apply. When we look at these emotions, though, that are here in Scripture, there's a number of stories we could go to. I love looking because I enjoy reading the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, you will see David was a man that was very emotional. He had high highs and low lows. He had one, uh, in one psalm, he would be praising God and thanking him for everything. And then in another psalm, he may be writing and saying, Oh God, take my enemy's babies and dash them on the rocks. Those are pretty severe shifts. One of the things that I get to do, one of my great pleasures, I, as I tell people, I have two great passions in my life, really three. I better put my wife in there. The first one is God. The second one is my wife. And the third one is, I love baseball. I love baseball. And I get the great privilege to coach baseball at Mountain View High School. It's also a place where I get to serve as the chaplain for their football program. And my little caveat in, in knowing about River Club is that I used to work downstairs in the FCA office for a little while. Um, but as a baseball coach, I thank my players, God love them, and other coaches and umpires who, do we have any umpires here? Okay, we don't have to have special prayer then, okay. But um, I get very passionate in the game. And I always have my assistant coach with me, and his number one job on game day is to prevent me from climbing off the ceiling, okay? His job is to keep me calm.
because I get really emotional about this. And I know I don't need to. But there's just something about competition. For me, I get just fully enmeshed in it. And maybe some of you are like that. There's something in your life that you are extremely passionate about. And there are some times where the emotions take over the thought process. And so I want to look at that a little bit today. In fact, I want to give you, I want to give you three things, that practical application that we're going to look at. Again, before we look at those, though, I want to remind you that emotions are, are neither good nor bad. Jesus was filled with emotion. Understand that, that Jesus, fully God, yet fully man, he had those emotions. And as I was studying for this, I came across, and there's a ton more than this, but just give you a snapshot. This is Jesus, okay? This is God in flesh. This is the one who left the splendor of heaven to come and to be with us. Jesus shed tears. He had great sorrow. He had great joy. He had moments of great anger. He was overcome with sadness. Uh, he showed astonishment and wonder. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus, God in flesh, still found astonishment and wonder just as we did. Understand that the man side of him still had to learn. He still had to learn. When was the last time you were astonished? When was the last time you looked at something with wonder? In a world in which everything can be done through, what is it, CGI or whatever the, the, that they do in, in, in movies, we've lost that idea of astonishment and wonder and majesty. You need to find those moments. You need to embrace those moments. There's two very specific moments in my mind that beyond a shadow of a doubt, I realized that there was a God. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. The first one was the birth of my son. And the second one is whenever I look at the ocean. This past spring, we had a great privilege as a family. And I've got, let's see, 600 kids. And no, I've got, I have four daughters and I've got one son and I've got five grandchildren. I've got three son-in-laws, something like that. Yeah, three. Since that would, that would give me one, two, three. Yeah, three daughters, one son. I have four kids all total. So I've got three son-in-laws. Yeah. Um, Man, this isn't, this isn't going on the World Wide Web or anything. Okay, this is just between us, right? All right. So, um, but we went to the beach, and we, we were able to rent a house right on the beach. And we walk out of the master bedroom, and there was a little deck. And I could look out, and I could see the ocean. And our first day there, it was, I mean, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And we could see for it seemed like forever in the horizon, almost to the point where you could almost see where it kind of started curving just a little bit. It was one of those perfect clear days. And I felt about that big compared to God. And I couldn't help but think when God was speaking to Job, were you there when, when I told the ocean, this is as far as you can go? And the waves kept on crashing at the same spot, in the same spot. 
Look at things with wonder and amazement. I digress. Anyways, I want to give you three very real practical application on making this transition between living by emotion and living by God's wisdom. The first one is what I call about the thud. The thud. And really what I'm going to ask you to do is to manage the thud. In fact, I even titled this this message, Managing the Thud. Let me explain what the thud is, okay? How many of you have been in a situation, either very positive or negative, and something happens and all of a sudden there's that immediate moment where all the emotions just kind of hit you at once? My son hitting his first home run, trust me, I was not calm, cool, and collected. I was all over the place. I was climbing out of the dugout. I was excited. But I've also had those moments where somebody has said something to me and it hit me the wrong way. And that thud moment happened. And when the thud moment happens, there's something else that immediately takes place. My eyes stop working. My ears stop working. And the filter that's supposed to be over this little thing right here really stops working. When we allow our emotions to drive us, to dictate us, we cannot see, we lose focus that people are made in the image of God. If anybody's been married here for any time whatsoever... I've been married for 28 years. Love my wife. Love, love, love my wife. I know my wife loves me. And I know that she's never had that thud moment with me. But I've had plenty with her. And it's amazing how when those thud moments come, where everything tightens up, and I get defensive, and I can feel the heat starting to come up. And I lose focus that this is my wife. This is a daughter of the one true king. I can't hear the wisdom that's coming from her because my wife is very wise. And what comes out of here is ignorant and so many times it's hurtful. Thud moments can be dangerous. Thud moments can be embarrassing. Thud moments can paralyze us if we allow them. Some of you are going through or have gone through one of those moments here recently. Have you gotten a phone call from the doctor? Hey, I need for you to come in. We need to sit down. We need to talk. The results came in and they weren't as positive as we hoped them to be. Maybe some of you are dealing with a teenager. I have an 18-year-old son (coughs) whom I love immensely. He's the last one. We're about ready to be the empty nesters. And there's there's a couple things in my life that, that scare me. I mean, really, really, really scare me. And one of them is snakes. I don't like snakes. 
And ladies, I don't mean to be derogatory or anything like that, but if you ever want to see me act like a little girl, put a snake close by to me, okay? I can scream with the best of them. Not yell, scream, okay? Scream. Huge difference. (coughs) My son knows this. So what he did one day, he thought this would be pretty funny. I'm in the kitchen, and I open up a drawer to grab, I, I think it was a fork or something out of there. Well, sitting in the drawer was a little rubber snake. And when I opened the drawer, the snake kind of popped up and wiggled like that. I wish I could tell you that I maintained all of my masculinity. I did not. I slammed the door, grabbed a knife, jumped back, and I'm like, I am ready for this thing. And then I'm thinking, if that thing comes out of the drawer, I am running. There is no way I'm going to do anything to this thing. And then all of a sudden, I hear back in the corner my son. The emotion of fear that I had immediately became anger. Okay? (laughs) And I'm like, I got a knife. And he's like, I got to (laughs) go. The thud moment. Now, that was fun, okay, in a weird, demented way. It was fun. But so many of us, so many of you may be having the thud moments that, I mean, they're painful. They're painful. And I want you to know that that's normal. But don't let the thud moments become moments where you react. Recognize the thud and begin to manage the thud. How do you manage the thud? Second part here. Paul, in the 12th chapter of Romans, he says in verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but by the renewing of your mind, be transformed. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This brain that God has given each one of us is a fascinating, fascinating organ. Uh, I have one of the great pleasures I have is overseeing all of care, pastoral care uh, in Mount Ararat is I do a, quite a bit of counseling. Though I'm not a licensed counselor, I have extensive training in it. Um, but this brain, and the more I read about it and, and how it functions, it's fascinating. Example, every life experience we have, every life experience that we have, the brain will make a file folder for it. And as you have repeated the same life experience, there's a track that begins to be made that takes us from point A to point B. All right? Parents, just to let you know, that portion in the brain that allows that track to happen is the frontal part of the lobe. And students, teenagers, yours is being developed right now. So technically, you guys are brain damaged, okay? So, um, (laughs) sorry. I know that was a cheap shot. I just lost these three over here, okay? (laughs) Okay. Um, 
But it's amazing how these file folders get created over and over and over again. Every time we experience something, it gets created. Now, the problem is when we allow the tracks to be created, but they are actually unhealthy tracks. For example, one of the great ways the brain does work, remember the first time you ever burned yourself? Maybe I'm the only idiot here, but I thought white coals meant that they were cold. Uh, and so I reached out one day and I said, huh, and I touched one. Uh, I don't know if I still have feeling in these two fingers, and I was like five years old when I did that. But you know what? Something I learned right away. I'm not touching coals ever again, okay? When they're in the uh, barbecue, they're probably hot. When there's heat coming off, not a good idea. So I, that, that was seared into my fingers and into my brain. There's a file folder. Things are hot, don't touch them, okay? Well, the same thing happens when we get those thud moments. And we get them starting at young ages. Though we have emotions, they're part of who we are. It's how we're pre-wired. How we deal with them is up here. And what we do with them is up here. And so we start, when we have those thud moments from when we're little kids, we get scared. And if we don't get anything that changes the track that's being formed in our brain, we keep reacting the same way over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we're adults now. And we're reacting to things the same way we did when we were little. Because we haven't retrained our thinking when Paul talks about transformation, what he's talking about is sometimes that track that has been developed, we need to create a new exit ramp for it and to create a new file folder in our brains. Counseling, pastoral counseling, is fairly basic in the concepts. So basic, let me give you two overarching points that I use over and over with people. One, if it doesn't work, stop doing it. And number two, if it does work, do more of it. How many of us in our lives, because of the way that we've been thinking, we do the same thing over and over, and over, and over, and over again. And each time, we're expecting a different result. What is that called? Insanity. We have to retrain our thinking. That comes from the wisdom of God. And understand this. You may not be experiencing a thud moment this week or last week or really in the last six weeks or six years. But there is going to be another thud moment that comes. Will you be prepared? Now, I'm not saying you make preparations for everything, every contingency plan that could possibly ever happen. You can't do that. But if we recognize the thud... And if we have begun to transform the way we think, 
we know that we can always step back and say, okay, God, I need your wisdom right here, right now. If we choose not to do that, we will react. We will not be able to hear. We will not be able to see. Things will come out of here that are all wrong. One of the greatest things, though, that happens when we don't manage the thud is this hearing part right here, one of the saddest parts that we don't listen to or are able to hear anymore is that soft, gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit within inside of us. Paul tells us in the sixth chapter of Galatians, and the only time that I see in Scripture that says that we have any control over anything, and that is self, and even that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is an aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So retrain your thinking. Allow yourself to be transformed here. The last point I want to share with you is if all else fails, when the thud comes and you want to react, everything in your body is screaming to react, stop. And do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. You'll be amazed how much you know. You can stay with the the lanes that you've had or say, you know what, this time, no. This time it's going to change. It hasn't worked in the past, so it's going to change now. So God, here I am. I'm going to sit back if just for a moment and say, okay, God, I'm not sure what to do here. Guide me to do the next right thing. I guarantee you, we know what the next right thing to do is. Most of the time, it's not a huge jump. Sometimes the next right thing is that, is a simple step forward. Or sometime the next right thing is to drop to our knees in prayer. God, I need wisdom here. I love this person. I love these people. This is not what I wanted. I'm recognizing that my gut is in knots. But I want to see what you want me to see. I want to hear what you want me to hear. And I don't want this thing to spout out. What's the next right thing? I'm going to ask the worship band to come on, for, uh, come on up. And we're going to wrap this up. I think the greatest example that we have from Scripture, historical account, is someone who experienced the thud, who managed the thud with great wisdom and continually kept on taking the next right step. And it's none other than Jesus.
Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying earnestly. Luke says that he was in anguish. He was in emotional anguish. So much so that his sweat was like drops of blood. He had had the thud moment. Imagine sitting around the table. Though Jesus, and John is very clear about this, he laid down his life when he was ready. No one took Jesus' life. He willingly gave it up. But being fully man, he still had the thud moment. When Judas took the bread and dipped it along with Jesus, and Jesus says, go do what you got to do, that was a thud moment. When he's in the garden praying, God, please, please take this cup from me, that's a thud moment. And trust me, I don't believe for a second he was excited about what was about to happen. If he left it up to his emotions, we would still be lost in our sins. Instead, he did the next right thing. And the emotions came later. And when he appeared before the disciples, you tell me that his emotions weren't those of joy and gladness and great love and astonishment and wonder. Folks, Jesus is the greatest example of one who relied upon the very wisdom of God that fought through the emotions, that trained his brain so that when the moment came, he was ready. I don't know where you are today. but I hope that you will grab hold of the wisdom of God and prepare for these moments. And understand this, that God's wisdom, does it work? Yes. For those of you that have lived through the thud moments, have been refined by them, the wisdom you have gained has made you stronger and wiser And because of that, you have a ministry now. Because there are others sitting in these seats right now that think that what they're going through, no one else has ever been through before. Share your wisdom. Share your strength. Share your hope. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you. I thank you for your glorious word. I thank you for the incredible example that you gave to us via your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I know many of us are struggling with the thud moments. Some of us may be in them right now. And Lord, I just ask that you would be with them, that your peace would rest upon them, 
that they would not react, but they would take a deep breath. They would allow their eyes and their ears to open up, their heart to open up to you, that their mouth would be silenced so that they can find the wisdom that still works all these years later. It still works. It's still applicable. It's still life-giving. Father, may they experience it. May they know it. May it be beyond just a feeling, but may it be something just totally ingrained in their mind that they would live it. Father, I don't know who's out here that may not even know you, but are going through a thud moment right now. And if that is you, I'm going to ask that you would simply confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's what Scripture tells us. If that's you, this message is for you today. This prayer that I want you to pray is for you today. Just repeat these words to to God. Oh, Father, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. And I'm in desperate need of a Savior. Lord, I'm going through the thud and I've got no idea how to manage this. Will you give me your wisdom? Would you slow me down just a moment so that you can speak to me and allow my ears to hear my eyes to see for me to receive. Father, I want to be your child today and forever. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. For those of us that have known Christ for years, but we're going through the thud moment, or you realize that your emotions, you are driven more by your emotions than what God wants to instruct us in. This message is for you. Wisdom works. God's wisdom works. If we can help you in any way this morning, If you have accepted Christ this morning, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to meet you afterwards. I know we've got a gift for you here, and we want to help you through the thud moments. But not just through that, but to really help with the transformation that God wants in you and through you. And it's an inside-out process. For those of you that are realizing that wisdom really does work, and that you need more of it. May we help you today. Can we pray with you? Do you need insight? Because part of what the church does is just that. Can I share with you some of the strength that I've received from Christ? Can we share with you the wisdom that we've learned? Can we help you create that new off-ramp and to start doing things different? If we can, Come and join us. There'll be people from the prayer group up here. We want to help you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for letting me be here.